Into every generation, there is a chosen one. Uh, excuse me, two. One girl in all the world. Two, two girls? Who is this guy? She is... This might have been a... Big Miss Steak. Steak. S-T-A-K-E. Like what you kill a vampire with. A Buffy podcast. Okay, we did it. Ah, we're off. We're off. This this is uh we're coming live, not live. We're coming recorded with uh some brand new equipment and let me tell you, we are feeling ourselves. Do we do we sound pretty? Is it cute, you guys? I think it's cute. It definitely sounds sounds middle class adjacent, which is my aspirational goal right now. <laughs> adjacent to which side of middle class? Oh, we all know. <laughs> You know, maybe this is the pod that propels me. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're going from the people in Parasite who live underneath the house to the people in Parasite who, like, work on the floor. Mm. And eventually we'll get up to being the people who own the house. I can't wait to be an oppressor. That's what it's all about. Yep. You die oppressed or you live long enough to see yourself become the oppressor. This is a very depressing intro to our pod. It it started out so well-intentioned. And yet. <laughs> and yet. Oh my goodness. How are you doing, Melissa? Are you ready to get into it? I'm ready to get into it. Well, first, do you have any new experiences with vampires, demons, and or the forces of darkness? Oh, goodness. Well, no, I did see somebody on my Instagram feed watching The Vampire Diaries, and I thought about how great the show is, but that's obviously been heavily endorsed on this on my end. I'm I'm always thinking about the the VD of it all. The V the VD of it all. But no, I mean my life has been pretty unmagical. How about you? Yeah, same. Um the only thing I can say is that is force of darkness adjacent is that um in my desire for escapism from our our current bleak reality, I have delved headfirst back into a series from our childhood. Uh, the Animorphs series. The reason that I bring this up is because we had a very important discussion, as Phanomorphs are wont to do, about mm. how we see ourselves through an Animorph lens. And Aditi, you're very good at, I was going to say zoology, but that's not the right word. Wow, wow, you have, you've really shaken the course. So, okay, <laughs> so we were discussing, if we had to pick any anamorph characters for our astrological signs, what would they be? So just to refresh, and again, if I'm getting this wrong, I'm not on CoStar, I know. Please, please don't at CoStar or me. Wait, maybe you should at us just to educate us. We're very simple. Actually, no, you know what you're talking about. Never mind. I'm very simple. Educate me. <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, from my understanding, the three major uh, components of your astrological sign are your sun sign your ascendant or your rising or your moon sign we didn't get into venus because i actually don't understand that but just from what i understand your your sun sign is a sign that you already knew the one that you were born into and that's the one that aligns most with your ego who you are um and all that stuff your ascendant or your rising is the way that you want to be perceived by others like the armor you put on into the world for people to observe you and then of course your moon is your emotional core. So we have been discussing what those would be if we were Animorphs characters, but now I think we should talk about what our star sign should be if we were Buffy characters. I think we should. Do you Do you want to go first? Oh man. Um, okay. I uh, this is I'm gonna get like I want I'm gonna get like Volneys. Um, okay. Okay. I'm going to also do some split characters because, let's be honest, <laughs> I contain multitudes. Uh, so, <laughs> so my son, I want to say, is currently our girl, Willow. And your son is is like the part of yourself that you present to the world? No, your son is like your ego, like where you must see yourself. Like oh, okay, she's, okay. She's like, she's like, she's like acerbic, but she like only uses it for good. And, you know, she's, she is 
figuring she's coming to her own much like much like a teen as a woman in her 30s i'm coming into my own so i feel i feel a great kinship with her she's very smart and you're also very smart and very good at academic things thank you do you want to see my sat scores (laughs) yes actually (laughs) uh then my rising is obviously buffy like i would love to be buffy because she is all of the things we've discussed, and most importantly, has this endless supply of like sh- mini skirt, like short dresses and boots, which look great. We'll get into it. And then, friends, I think my moon is sometimes Xander. And like, am I what? the thing I hate? What am a I twist. the thing I hate? Am I the thing I hate? Oh my god, I am floored. I would never have predicted that you would say such a thing. So your emotional core is Xander. I some I mean I think sometimes I think that we all have that little moody baby in all of us. In in what way is your emotional core Xander? I'm very curious. Well, because I was toying between Willow or Xander being my emotional core, but Willow's too well adjusted. Mm. The, I'm, I'm maybe jury's out on the moon. Maybe it's Giles. I don't know. Actually, you know what? The more I think about it, it is Giles. Yeah, I was gonna say I could see you more <laughs> as a Giles. Okay, I've, 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 uh, my revisionist statement is my sun is in Willow, my rising is in Buffy, and my moon is in Giles. The end. All right. Okay. All right. Let me think about this. My sun, that's the one that, that's like your, your overall true self, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think my sun is a Willow. My armor clearly is a Xander. <laughs> <laughs> you love these snotty boys. For those of you who are not privy to the Animorphs conversation, my Animorph armor is obviously Marco. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what it is about these shitty boys who make jokes all the time, but I feel like that's me. (laughs) Look, I've been told as an adult that I have the sense of humor of a 12-year-old boy, and I think they're not wrong. Like, I have enough self-awareness to... uh, to acknowledge that about myself. So, armor, Xander, sun, willow, and then what's the what's the third one? Your emotional core. My emotional core. Actually, I'm going to switch it. I'm going to say armor, Giles, emotional core, Xander, because I think Xander is ruled by a feeling of deep inadequacy, and that feels right to me. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy, what a dark episode this is. This is a really dark episode. Should we record when we're happier? <laughs> no, we're doing great. We're doing great. I want to say that I'm the fans, the Slayerettes, I'm being really honest because I really wanted to add Cordelia into some of that mix, but I'm not. Like, I, I know. <laughs> what parts of Cordelia did you want to add? Uh, she's fire. She's funny. She dresses like a woman in her 30s as I hope to one day. Yeah, I I just think she's great. I think she's like so confident. Like I want her to be my armor, but I ultimately know that at the end of the day, being driven by some just idiotic sense of right, like Buffy is, is something that I feel very attached to. Um, Fans, please, please tweet at us what you think your uh, star signs are, what your signs are by as by buffy characters i'd love to know we'd love to know yeah at us at big mistake pod dropping them socials dropping them socials you are a veteran all right (laughs) y'all and and with that let's begin ready to talk about season one episode five of buffy the vampire slayer never kill a boy on the first date Buffy tries to maintain some semblance of a normal teenage social life by opting for a hot date instead of helping Giles protect Sunnydale from a violent vampire prophecy. As she's blinded by love, Buffy ignores the signs of the dark forces aligning against her. The Master is plotting her demise by invoking the wrath of the Anointed One, a great warrior vampire who is the Master's most powerful weapon against the Slayer. That's it. That's the summary. It was good. It was, you, you did a great job reading it. Thank you. <laughs> That's that librarian coming out. <laughs> Literacy, baby. <laughs> Let's begin. Um, shall we shall we begin with Slay or Nay? Slay or Nay. Let's start with, of course, the titular character, 
Buffy. I loved that houseplant chic dress she was wearing with all the little planties. I knew we were going to fight about this one. No! You didn't like it? I didn't. I feel like I wanted to like it. I liked the shape of it, and I liked the boots. I hate the pattern. It looks like a couch. I hated how her hair was done. I just thought it was real close, but not good. So I think that the hair, I concede that point. It was very proto-Karen. So yes, I concede. It was very flight attendant. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I thought it was brave to wear fabric like that. But I, I loved it. I, 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 I'm sorry. It's very difficult for me to be objective when it comes to that style. I do think the dress in the same shape that she wore later in the episode when she actually goes on the date. Oh, loved. It's like a, yeah, kind of like a metallic gold tan dress with the pale pink coat and the knee-high boots. Like, I loved everything about mm. that one. It was chain mail chic. Oh, yeah. Loved. Absolutely. Loved. It was perfect for both loving and fighting. Just mm-hmm. like me. <laughs> well, there are two. There are two Buffies, as we learned in the show. So, uh, one who knows how to dress, and one who clearly does not. <laughs> from for me, at least, from the highs of the high of Buffy to the lows of the low. What is your son Xander wearing in that shirt? With that shirt, my emotional core, <laughs> Xander. <laughs> I can tell if it was polka dots. If it was donuts, if it was records, it was buttons. I I don't, I did not understand. Okay, well, I too was shocked (laughs) by this, this sort of silk offense (laughs) to my senses. And so I I did the thing where you like pause the show and then you creep up to the TV to (laughs) to try and find like what is happening. And I believe that this long sleeved, very shiny greenish silk shirt has a pattern that looks to be inspired by traditional Chinese iconography, but it did not look like anything I found. What? No, like there, so it had these circles with writing that looked like Chinese characters in it. Wow. And so I Googled Chinese characters, circle stuff, and there are, there's iconography that looks like that, and it's for things like luck and happiness and what Aww. have you. But n- I think because this was like a mass-produced shirt, they were just like, put something kind of Chinese looking on it. I don't know. Xander will wear it. You have already done more research into Chinese iconography than most people who got tattoos in the 90s did. So proud of you. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that was pretty bad. Yeah, I have Xander's clothing theme is cursed object. (laughs) He is the cursed child. He is. (laughs) I honestly just like Forever Willow, everything she wears hits because it, again, would have been something I wore the like the stripy sweater at first, you know, I was at first confused, but then I realized the plaid red shirt with the pink shirt underneath. Now that is a very popular color combination. So she was very fashion forward. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of this stuff, I think, not necessarily this episode, because, (laughs) like, Buffy is all over the map in this episode. Mm -hmm. The outfit that she wears on the date, I could see someone wearing it today. Mm -hmm. However, the outfit that she wears in the scene where Xander is wearing his cursed shirt, she herself is wearing a cursed shirt (laughs) and some sort of, like, Mm -hmm. high-waisted sequined slacks that are cropped. You know what they were like? It was like, um, you know, in old-timey circuses when they would have, like, the really tall person and it'd be somebody on stilts and then someone at the bottom. <laughs> yes. That was the length <laughs> of those pants. Yeah, it made her whole vibe scream, like, reanimated, reanimated wooden doll, maybe, from the waist down. It was bad. It was bad. But yeah. there was a sensible amount of midriff, as is her want. Yes. Can we talk about our queen, Cordelia Chase? Speaking of sensible midriff Mm, love her crimped hair at the bronze honestly i admire her for trying like it's so bad it's good i wrote down cordelia's crimped hair but i just i couldn't say anything about it i respect it too much yeah i I know it's not good no but i just can't i can't say anything about it she has that authority 
I just really respect Queen Cordelia Chates because she is a peer in as much as she is probably in her 30s playing a teenager. Yes, she is in her 30s playing a teenager. There you go. That is literally <laughs> what's happening. <laughs> um, yeah, she looked great. Also, before we move on from Buffy, I wanted to say that tiger print jacket she wears in the fu- in the cemetery. Loved. Yeah. Loved. I loved it, too. It looked so comfortable, and I loved the hood. Yeah. I, I want it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would look really good in it, I think. Thank you. I just, uh, I'm a simple girl who loves, I love an animal print. I love, I love a short skirt, long boot combo. Mm-hmm. These are, these are the things that make me happy. I will say the only thing about poor Cordelia is they constantly put her in brown lipstick and it's just such an ugly color on most people, I feel. I didn't necessarily think her lipstick was distracting, but I did think that Buffy's like weird shiny peach yeah. color yeah. was not my favorite. I didn't, you know, I will say, and I know we're bopping around, but in that uh, scene, at first I was like, man, poor Xander. It must be really hard to like watch your crush get ready for a date with someone else. That's difficult. I'll, you know, props to Xander. And then he was like saying all sorts of nonsense about like, if you wear this color, you'll kiss him and then he'll tell people you're easy. It was, it was so much. It was. It was. We'll get there because I have a lot of notes about this part as well. Okay. So I feel overall my fashions were mostly slays and then obviously with one huge nay for Xander. Always. Yeah. His his, his life is a nay right now for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apologies to my Xander heads. To me. <laughs> <laughs> to my emotional core. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why I have such a soft spot for Xander. I think if I met a character like him now, I would truly hate him. Do you think it's your vestigial Bart Simpson energy? <laughs> my my Bart Simpson energy? <laughs> I wasn't aware I had that. You literally said I have, people have said I have the humor of a 12-year-old boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, it's totally that. <laughs> you know what, though? Bart's great. Bart Bart has figured out life more than we have. I was more of a Lisa than a Bart. I of think. course you were. Of course you were. That is like the young young smart girl's equivalent of being a teenager and being like my favorite Disney princess is Belle because she likes to read. We all like to read. We all like to read. This is something I feel in my core. I feel like every smart girl is like Belle is my favorite or or Mulan because you like attach some like weird feminist be- like beliefs to her. You know what? You know what? All Dis- We've had this conversation about Disney. You know how I feel about Disney. I'm trying to figure out how I can work in that you hate babies to this podcast. No! <laughs> Cut it! Bravo, bravo, bravo! <laughs> Look, if anyone hates babies, it's me, okay? We're in a safe space here. <laughs> I just wanted to say, why I'm saying this is because when I got to college, they were, you know, obviously that program and they were very, very, very smart people in it, very smart women. And everybody was like, oh, I just love Belle. Belle's my favorite. And I was like, look, I liked Ariel because Prince Eric is hot. Wait, you liked Ariel? Ariel was my favorite too, because there was an octopus in that one. For different reasons. For different reasons. They're different, but they're friends. <laughs> Aww, we're, we're different, but we're friends. We're different, but friends is really the theme of this podcast. Yeah. Aw, it's beautiful. Okay, I'm sorry. I just got, I got, I got very, I got moved with passion. <laughs> what I was going to say was. <laughs> oh, baby. <laughs> All right, this is good. This is what the fans tune in for. I'm, I'm real sorry, fans. <laughs> Okay, I think we can end Slayer Nay. Yeah, I think we have to cut ourselves off. Yeah. We've we've been overserved. Yeah. Yeah. So let's begin our segment of Is It Cute? Is it cute? In this segment, we discuss if the villain is cute. And I think we should include Owen as well. <laughs> Owen is like if a cinder block had a face. (laughs) So when I first met Owen, I said, wow, his hair spikes are very proto Guy Fieri. (laughs) It was before the fire had been fully lit. Uh, He he died so Guy Fieri could bleach. As somebody who is very interested in goth culture, 
but yet has never uh, fully integrated oneself into goth culture. He, goth adjacent. Yes. I feel like if I am goth adjacent, he is a goth poser because of his love of Emily Dickinson. Okay. Here is where I have some thought-provoking questions for you. Let's go. Personality-wise, what are the differences between Cinderblock Horseman Owen <laughs> and your smoldering hot boner uh, <laughs> angel? Wow. Wow. Also, I just want to clarify... I I don't think Owen looks like a horse or a cinder block. He actually looks very nice. I think he has the personality of a cinder block or a horse. Go on. Oh, see, I thought you were saying he was like a horse girl, but a horse man. <laughs> so what I was really channeling is there's this <laughs> there's this uh Saturday Night Live <laughs> sketch. <laughs> Your love of Saturday Night Live is one of my favorite things about you. Because it is, it's, it's, it's consistent. It's very embarrassing. <laughs> Today you have been revealed as a lover of Animorphs and SNL. And an emotional core of Xander. Like, this is a terrible <laughs> cell phone. This whole podcast is a mistake. A big mistake. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, wow. You have posed a really interesting question. So I would say that the difference between Cinder Owen and my man on hell is just like owen's just like doing the most like he's doing the most he has no loyalty once he's first he's dancing with cordelia then he's dancing with buffy like pick a side sir we're at war and he also for someone who claims to read doesn't seem to act like someone who reads so there's a little bit of a disconnect there whereas my my man angel leather jacket Great face, smoldering. He also doesn't talk as much. And so to quote my father, fools can pass if they stay quiet. Very wise, a daddy, very wise. So I think there's a difference. I really was curious what you would think of Owen because the way that they talk about him, they could be describing both Owen and Angel because Willow's whole deal is like, he's so dark and he can brood for hours. And like, that's Angel's literal only deal. I would say that Angel, like, he shows up and he, uh, like, he helps create a lot of the, you know, exposition on the show. You know, like, he shows up, like, you gotta go do this, you gotta go do that. Mm -hmm. So I feel like he helps facilitate, yeah. Kill him, kill him all. Fork man. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> um, I thought we could get into this without getting ugly. <laughs> but I think, I think with Angel, like, he just... Uh, yeah, he like he like helps the storyline a lot more. Whereas like Owen, like what do I do with that? Well, you don't take it to a morgue, that's for sure. I also was confused about why he considered Emily Dickinson his security blanket. Ugh. Because he was like in high school, right? So he loved how macabre she is and and how dark and and creepy and goth. Honestly, and if you want to go for female goth, read Flannery O'Connor. Very dark. Very goth. Very goth. Yeah, also, Emily Dickinson said hope is a thing with feathers. That's a little optimistic, Owen. <laughs> I mean, maybe the feathers were from a crow, mm. like the movie <laughs> The Crow. Very goth. Very goth. But see, this is why you are goth adjacent and he is a goth poser. Oh, uh, yeah, that's very true. <laughs> also, like, had the crow come out at this point? Because if not, he had no excuse. It certainly didn't come out when he was reading this poetry as a child. <laughs> yeah, all I can say is that I don't trust him. No, he's fine. He's fine. <laughs> he's fine. I think uh, I also was confused because at the beginning of the episode, they were like, oh, it's Owen, it's Owen. And at first I like checked to see if I didn't skip an episode because they referred to him as we as if we knew him. I, I guess he's like famous for sitting by himself with a book of Emily Dickinson poetry and brooding a lot. You know what it is? And this is honestly very shocking because my brand is very much like brooding, brooding teen boy, but he's not rude like Jess Mariano. No. So you like it when they're kind of rude. <laughs> and also, I think Jess wore a lot of jackets as well. Owen has no jackets. Why you got to be so rude? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I mean, like, they're not even necessarily human, too. <laughs> the stakes are very low. But he's going to marry that girl. Is he? He might. No spoilies. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I feel like we have now put to bed why Owen is incontrovertibly different than my sweet Angel. Angel. Yeah, he reads more books. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, all right. So our episode... Oh, wait, we didn't even do Is It Cute? Ugh. First, Is It Cute? Owen. No, not cute. Not cute. I mean, like, I, I suppose physically he's fine, but I, I will say his terrible personality really makes it difficult it's impossible to look past. Yeah. Uh, and I would say that the villain... So what do we constitute as the villain of this episode? We can have several villains this episode. So we have the master, of course. We have mm-hmm. the guy from the bus who later reappeared in the morgue. And we mm-hmm. have the anointed one. So do you want to go down the list? Let's do it. I'm going to just say it. I think the master is very cute. Elaborate. Because I think there is a huge disconnect between the way he looks, which is kind of spooky scary, and his voice, which is a little bit Mike Tyson. (laughs) And it's just so endearing to me. I have always thought the master was like very silly for that reason. He looks sort of like a bat and he's got like a fruit punch nose. And then he opens his mouth and he says stuff like, so it is written, so shall it be. And it's just like very cute to me. Remind me if this if the ma- the master's not the ascendant. The the master is the one who was supposed to rise in the beginning, and then they trapped him underground again. Yes, who couldn't get through the wall. He couldn't get through the wall, and and he's back this episode reading a prophecy about an anointed one, and the anointed one is supposed to be the guy who will let him rise for real this time. Okay, that's right. That's right. Well, yeah, I mean, poor, poor, poor middle management orc. Like, he's just trying, you know? I guess I'll give him a cue. He's not not? middle management. He's upper management, or should I say, lower management. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I was confused because I thought the anointed one was top, was top brass, but he's top brass. Yeah, the anointed is the middleman because he is, Uh, he's the one who has to, like, do all the work and the master is the one who's, like, designating. You know what, then? I changed my answer purely to spark some controversy. Anointed one is middle management and therefore cute, whereas top brass, one percenter over here, not cute. Is middle management cute, like, in general? No, but I just (laughs) wanted, I was just trying to create some class warfare. Oh, all right. Well, I'm ready. I would say that Master and Anointed One, they are definitely more on the cute, not cute liminal line. I would say that the the gentleman who was on the bus, who had like a very like deliverance aesthetic, Mm -hmm. not cute. Not cute. I'm with you. He's definitely like if the Master is the 1% and the Anointed One is middle management, this guy is definitely, I would say, working class. Although I feel no solidarity with him. Mm, damn. And yet, yeah. this is how they divide us. This is this is how they get us. Yeah. Wow. This is hegemonic rule. I feel bad about that joke. I don't know how to classify him. <laughs> he, he never even gets to management. He doesn't really interact with them. He just dies. This is just like Parasite. <laughs> but and I do think the anointed one is cute. He's like a little kid. That's adorable. He's an adorable little boy. Interesting you said that. I just said not cute at the end. Not cute for the little boy? No, he looked demonic. I don't trust. Well, he is demonic. You're right. (laughs) Demonic decidedly not cute. Okay, so uh, I think we can agree that uh, there's a realm of cuteness and not cuteness, but the ultimate not cuteness is wealth hoarding. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So let's begin the recap. (laughs) Let's begin. (laughs) What a wild journey this episode has been. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? We're here. (laughs) We're here. So the scene begins, the show begins with a fight scene. And I was like, ooh, fight scene. Because, you know, we've discussed, I think Buffy really excels in a fight scene, Mm -hmm. both physically and witticism wise. Did great. She did great. I really enjoyed Giles, who pops up Mm -hmm. like a very uh, disapproving Jack in the Box Mm -hmm. and scolds her on her form. And they have like some banter back and forth. And their relationship, because this is only episode five, and I think their relationship has progressed. I feel like their relationship is very well communicated at this point and feels very natural. It does. No, they have a sweet relationship. Although he's just like, 
he just doesn't understand. It's like really difficult being a teen girl and a teen slayer. There's a lot to balance and I just, uh, yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, he hasn't been either of those things. Neither. Yes, true, true. Yeah, so we, so we're like, we're in the, we're in the cemetery and then he finds some jewelry that's not from Claire's. No. Maybe Hot Topic. It's at least, at least a James Avery plus. <laughs> wow. I said Hot Topic, lowballing them. I'm sorry. Apologies. Hot Topic. You're right. That's probably more appropriate. <laughs> Um, I knew a kid in high school, in middle school whose mom didn't let her get go into a hot topic because she thought it was demonic. <gasps> the topic was too hot. <laughs> Satanic panic never ended, evidently. So yeah, then we now go to the underworld and the master is back and then we love a prophecy. The master, he's just like the, the little engine that could. It's always, <laughs> always hustling, never gives up, very inspirational. So it is written, so shall it be. Very middle management. <laughs> He's upper management. The anointed <laughs> one is middle management. You know what? Maybe this is my hot take political commentary on the <laughs> fact that there isn't a difference. Man, someone pay me for my think pieces. So <laughs> let's go over the prophecy because that's important. And I was confused by it uh, when I saw it as a youth. I wrote it down. Five will die and from their ashes an anointed one shall rise. The brethren of Aurelius shall greet him and usher him to his immortal destiny. So the vampire that Buffy killed was one of the brethren of Aurelius. Mm -hmm. And they figure that out because he has his hot topic ring. Mm, Yes. So we got we got four more brothers. I was confused because the paper said five people died in the bus crash. Yes. So five will die. And from their ashes, the anointed shall rise. So those five who were dying are not the brethren. That was a red herring. Yeah. So five die. One of those five is the anointed one. And then the brethren are the one who brings the anointed one to upper management. Yes, because that little boy was on the bus. Oh, that makes sense now. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I have seen TV before. (laughs) That makes sense. But I'm just very excited that there was a bus crash because... We get to meet my favorite character of the entire series, the Sunnydale bus. Interesting. You know I love the bus. For for the fans, Melissa is a public transit, shall we say, acolyte, aficionado, uh, supporter, all of the things, but specifically bus. Specifically bus, yes. And that's only because uh, here in Texas, we don't really have trains, but I do love a train as well. Well, I'm hoping that you and the rest of the country will be able to ride a bus sometime in 2023. Or a train. Um, okay, thank you for explaining the uh, prophecy. So now let's go above ground. And we have already, I think, we've we've gone in to Owen. He's not like other girls. He reads. <laughs> he reads one book. Literally just one. <laughs> well, I guess it would be a collection of poems technically maybe maybe he's always carrying around the omnibus maybe maybe he's the rory maybe he is he's the rory gilmore of sunnydale and the only book they have is a book of emily dickinson poetry (laughs) it's just passed over and over and over and over again uh giles is a supremely unhelpful librarian first not knowing how to use his own video library to get the bat sonar to fight the bug lady And now, just a vague gesture to literally every bookshelf in the library and the word (laughs) poetry for guidance. How does it make you feel as a librarian in training to see one of your kind behave this way? I think that it's very funny how he's very pro-book, anti-digital. It's just very antithetical to what you learn in library school now, which is like, the internet is the future. And like the idea that librarians are anti any sort of thing that's not a book in terms of the content that you choose to consume is flawed. So you would say that right now, librarians are pro any medium of knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I I think the emphasis is making sure that you're able to consume the information and it doesn't really matter what package the information comes in. That's great. I love that. So, I don't know, books, audiobooks, movies, podcasts, like, whatever. Just live your life. Learn your shit. On the bus, hopefully. Did you know in Hindi, bus means enough? 
It is enough for me. <laughs> and now a word from our sponsor. Greetings to the sad and the lonely. Do you yearn to express the darkest secrets of your aching heart, yet shun human contact, nestled in the echoes of your empty bed? Your solitary scream of romantic desire will find another's cry with which to harmonize on Friends of Emily, an Emily Dickinson-inspired dating app for the angsty spinster. Through Friends of Emily, the opportunity avails to bear your soul through decades of written correspondence. Throw the standards of punctuation and capitalization to the wind. They shan't survive the heat of your passionate exchange. And if the fates see it fit to sever the threads of your amorous skein, let not your spirit sink to despair. We all know our girl Emily died alone. Available on iOS and Android. XOXO Gothic Girls. So back to the storyline. They're having some tension because obviously Buffy wants to be a modern girl. She wants to live her life. She wants to go on social engagements with the opposite sex. And yet that pesky little Slayer problem just keeps popping up. Very rude. Very rude. Why you gotta be so rude? So she she goes to Willow, or she meets Willow in the cafeteria, and Willow says, oh, Wow, Owen, he's sensitive yet manly. Which, question mark, did we, did we get that he was sensitive? I guess because he reads poetry? Yeah, yeah, I think it was implied heavily. Ah... Uh. Okay. Yeah. It, I guess Owen is like that bitch in that high school. Apparently everybody wants a piece. Yeah. I mean, I, he carries a pocket watch. Who wouldn't want a slice? That was rough. That, like, the amount of affectation. But you know what? It worked for her. <laughs> I just... Ugh. I just... The character of Owen is so bad. I find him more boring than bad. He's both somehow. He's not even fun bad like Xander. Yeah, Xander Xander has enough, like, zingers to keep us entertained. Yeah, like, in this scene, for instance, the how did the slaying go? Oh, no, no, I mean, how did the laying go? I mean, I don't mean that either. That was genuinely funny. I giggled. Yeah, he, he, he did grow on me this episode. He did. He has developed a little bit more. Buffy tries to go sit at the table with Owen, but Cordelia swoops in and hip checks her like a roller girl. <laughs> Their antagonism... Honestly, I was not made to be popular. They are so quick with their witticisms, their bon mots, their cutting commentary. I would have just shriveled and died. Also, they're both like very thirsty. Not in a bad way. I mean, they're they're very brave about their thirst in a way that I was never. To quote my mother, bold. Yes. Like Cordelia just sees a guy and is like, I see it. I like it. I want it, and then Buffy got it. But, like, she goes for it. She tries. Yeah, and instead of seven rings, there's just one pocket watch. One pocket watch. <laughs> Devastating. <laughs> and, like, imagine wasting all of your confidence on a cinderblock horseman like Owen. Imagine he reads one book. Just one book. <laughs> it isn't even clear if he reads the whole book. He might just, like, one poem. <laughs> Owen's foray into intellectualism is brief. Thank God Owen is brief. Oh, okay, he doesn't show up again. I mean, he might not be brief. He could come back. There's always the threat of a man showing up at your locker with a pocket watch in Sunnydale. <laughs> man, what a specific yet frightening threat. Very ominous. Very. I did laugh. I don't know we're jumping around, but I did laugh when uh, he gives her the pocket watch and then poor Xander looks at his Tweety Bird plastic watch. I used to have a Batman plastic watch that I wore in high school. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, I'm making an assumption here, but I assume you weren't trying to seduce Slayers. No, I, as, as mentioned before, I was not trying to seduce anyone. <laughs> 
Okay, so we are at the scene where he wants to go to the bronze with Buffy, and she wants to go, but then Giles is like, no, you have to do stakeout tonight, stakeout. That scene happens, but then I want to get to the scene on the bus. The bus! Bus scene. What did you think of the bus scene? I, you know that I loved the bus scene. I I feel like the way they used that universal experience of someone spewing, like, weaponized Bible verses on a bus was very smart. Because, like... <laughs> I mean, if you've been on a bus, you know, like, you've had that happen to you. We went to school at UT, and there is this thing called the e-bus that runs late at night that takes you, like, to six. Oh, how could I forget the how e-bus? How could you forget the e-bus? <laughs> That's because I have been civilized living in a place that has a bus that people use for transportation and not just a paddy wagon full of drunken teenaged assholes going back and forth from downtown to their homes. That's why. Um, now that you've reminded me that the bus is also the e-bus, you have untapped a memory that I had forgotten. There was one time I was taking the e-bus and returning home, and there was a very drunk gentleman, and there was this girl, I remember, who was just very annoyed by him. He was not antagonizing her, engaging with her, nothing, but she just was like clearly very annoyed by his existence. And then at one point he looked at her and said, ma'am, I've known you for five seconds, and I've disliked you for ten. <laughs> yes. Way to go, sir. Man, the bus. I forgot, man. I Because I, I think kids now have such a different conception of, like, socializing, like college kids. Like, we didn't have ride shares when we were in college. We didn't have dating apps when we were in college. Like, you know, we had to walk uphill both ways. Yeah, e-bus both ways. <laughs> we had to talk to strangers. Oh, man, I've known you for five seconds and disliked you for 10. Is that more or less harsh than what is your childhood trauma? <laughs> I feel like Cordelia would have, in a, certain, in a different world, either have been the woman to provoke that comment or the man to have said it. Cordelia Chase would never ride the bus. Cordelia Chase would never ride the bus. She would need to be dropped off. She would need to check her brown lipstick in the mirror before she got off the car. Absolutely. This has been Bus Talk 2.0. Bus Talk. <laughs> um, yeah. Gosh. So yeah, we go We go to the club. Bands at the Bronze. I really liked the singer. She had a very like massive attack, like Mazzy Star kind of vibe. Um, I liked that it was a lady singer. We hadn't gotten one of those in a while. Should we do our, our segment, Band Candy? Band Candy. Last episode, I promised you guys I would investigate the bands of the bronze, and I have. So, tell us. Uh, these bands, I I wondered where they came from because I had not heard of most of them, and they they didn't seem to have uh like a like a massive following. And they got on the show because they wanted to use the bronze as a way for the production team to showcase new bands from the LA area. Eventually, later on, there are some more well-known acts that come in, but here in the beginning, these are like local bands of the time, which I think is very cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I also learned of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the album, the last episode. Oh! I could not find it for sale, but I did see that an enterprising fan made a Spotify playlist with most of the tracks of that album on it, and there are also several playlists that people have made of all of the songs that were played at the bronze. So thank you, enterprising fans, for doing most of this work for us. Yeah, we can um we can put them on our on our Twitter account. We can link them. Yes, we can at Big Mistake Pod at at us at us. So this band uh, that you were enjoying is called Velvet Chain which is an alternative pop, rock, and experimental trip-hop band. They, in 1999, released the Buffy EP, which includes the song Buffy, in parentheses, She is the Slayer, <laughs> described as their own theme song to the show, written due to overwhelming response from the Buffy fan base and because the band thinks the show is so cool. And in that song, Seth Green, who will appear on the show later, playing the character Oz, is credited for the guitars. I have a suggestion for our listeners, which is to go to velvetchain.com, which is still live and looks to have been untouched since the early 2000s. It is incredible. 
And also, I love the leopard print dress and leather jacket that the lead singer is wearing. Slay, slay, slay. Slay, slay, slay. Unrelated, I have a question for you since you are well-versed in the Buffy fandom. Yes. Is there a contingent of Buffy fans who find Giles attractive? Yes, I would say. I don't know how well-versed in the fandom I actually am, but I would say that there are people who find Giles attractive because later on in the show, like once or twice, like multiple times throughout the series, he'll have an episode where he turns into sexy Giles. Oh! Yeah, okay, so okay. You just you just stay tuned. Okay. I was wondering because while while that is not for me, I was just watching it and thinking there are enough unresolved issues that we all share for someone to think he's hot. They go into his past in the show mm. because he's a very um he's a very sort of stuffy, fussy sort of man now. My core. But uh my armor. <laughs> But he was not always so fussy or stuffy, and we learn about this later on. Does Giles have a past? Giles has a past. Is it a sexy past? Some would say. (laughs) I believe there are leather jackets involved, so uh, gird yourself. Oh, oh, all right. (laughs) I'm in. So, so, so we go to, like, the next day, like, in school... They're at the locker. Obviously, we talked about the pocket watch. Well, I do want to point out something about the pocket watch scene. This scene, it reminds me a lot of the scene in The Witch when Xander attempts to ask Buffy out on a date in front of Willow. And here we see it happening to Xander. And the the way Xander handles it is much different than the way Willow handles it when she's in that situation. And the expectations for Xander are so low. Yeah. It really bums me out. And I I'm of two minds about this because, you know, Buffy gets heralded as like this amazing groundbreaking feminist show and in a lot of ways it perpetuates a lot of oh. dumb oh yeah stereotypes. And this is one example of it. Obviously that's shitty. But also, like, Xander as a character, what else does he have? Yeah. Like, he makes jokes and he likes Buffy and there's literally nothing else about him. Willow has a full personality and Xander doesn't. I will say, though, to go back to the point you made about, like, the feminist show. I Yeah, you know, we addressed this at the beginning of my, our first episode. So many of our shared friends and friends that I have love the show and, like, very much attributed to part of their like feminist awakening but it's interesting watching it now and i think some one other trope that they really perpetuate in the show is like i'm not like other girls and yeah that is such a pernicious thing to teach young girls and it's really interesting to see it played out over and over and i mean it's something that we all had right or all do are also working through or whatever do you remember earlier in the episode where you went on a rant about Belle and how you're not like other girls because you don't choose her as your Disney princess? Yeah, but I was right then. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Here's the thing. I'm very consistent if you just follow my logic. Have you read Emily Dickinson? <laughs> <laughs> Have you even persisted nevertheless? <laughs> Wow, I clearly have some work to be to do. Uh, I clearly, clearly, this is a moment of reckoning for me. And Melissa has graciously called me in instead of called me out because we are in community. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, this is a brave space, not a safe space. Wow. Yeah, I've never heard that before. Oh, I feel very brave. Thank you. Stick with me, baby. <laughs> But back to what you were saying, there is a lot of I'm not like other girls in this show, but the other girls that they're referring to are Cordelia, basically, and they made Cordelia kind of awesome. Yeah, so. like, I wish I was like Cordelia. <laughs> yeah, like, I wish I was like other girls. <laughs> this has been Soapbox Talk. <laughs> um, yeah, so then we're, we're in the bedroom, and I, you know, damn, poor Xander, that sucks. Just, like, having to watch your date. Get ready. But 
that's life, man. That's life when you're friends with a hot slayer. Yeah, I have, it is inappropriate for Xander to be there. It's rude of them to have him there. And he's being rude about being there. He is rude. Yeah, he's, and if he's not comfortable, he needs to either suck it up or leave. And also, a little creep watching through the mirror. Xander, do not use the mirror to spy on her. That is a crime. Gross. 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 So Buffy is getting ready and she's holding up these different outfits, you know, for Xander and Willow to slay or nay. And <laughs> if you look at how Xander and Willow are dressed, you could not come up with a worse pair to advise you yeah. on such things. Yeah, maybe two wrongs make a right. I mean, I guess. And like she has, she's doing the same thing that she did in the first episode where she's like, I'm an enormous slut. Would you like a copy of The Watchtower? Yeah. Except she asks do I want to look unrestrained, insatiable, and aggressive? She holds up a dress that's purple and yellow with flowers on it. And that is really not the vibe it's putting off. It's very Golden Girls. They're also the same style of dresses, just in different patterns. Yeah. Like, yeah. Patterns can't do that much heavy lifting. Yeah. Yeah. One looks like a couch and one looks like chainmail. So she made the right choice. Ugh. Chainmail dress was so good. And maybe not that pink lipstick, but the red lipstick. Because, you know, I'm sending out a message. <laughs> oh, and then Giles comes up to tell her about the bus crash. Yeah. And it is my dream for someone to show up at my door and then just start going off about the bus. Like, hell yes. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Did you love uh, the Magic School Bus as a child? I did. Yeah. R.I.P. author of the Magic School Bus. Oh, wow. I didn't know that person died. Just recently, yeah. like in the last month or so. Damn. Wow. Yeah. This is a fun one, you guys. This is a fun episode. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously it's going to be a little goth because of Owen, you know. It's very haunted mm-hmm. and macabre, <laughs> like like Miss Dickinson herself. Hope is not a thing with feathers. Okay. So we have we we have this whole little moment, you know, at the house and then they try to distract Owen. It's fine. Buffy says an iconic line in this scene. A cranky slayer is a careless slayer? No, but I love that that's the one that stuck out to you. Yeah, I loved it. (laughs) Is it because you are often cranky or careless? Yeah. (laughs) Aditi is never cranky. Uh, 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 I have several blood relatives that would uh, plead the fifth. You are never cranky. You're always positive and conscientious. Never cranky nor careless. God, high stakes to me. <laughs> the opposite of stake through heart. <laughs> this is not a stake through the heart. You're right. <laughs> no, no. The iconic line is, if the apocalypse comes, beep me. <laughs> it is a line that many people quote and is emblazoned on lots of Buffy merchandise. What is it? If the apocalypse comes, beep me. Beep me. Oh, that's cute. That's cute. That's cute. Yeah. Okay. Because of the 90s and the beepers and what have you. The target audience is not me. I really like the cranky slayer as a careless slayer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so they go to the bronze and then my queen Cordelia Chase shows up in an outfit one would only call bold. It was so good from neck to waist. I don't know what she had on for pants, but (laughs) (laughs) neck down was very good. I just like the idea of crimping is so funny to me because it's just so meticulously like it's so meticulous and you have to really you you have to commit to doing such a terrible look. It's not like, oh, I'll just like it's an accident or I didn't have time to get ready. It's like, no, you chose this path. You chose this look. Yeah, there were many places where you could have turned back. (laughs) And nevertheless, never, nevertheless. Guys, if we ever do a live show, I'll crimp my hair. <laughs> you know what? We'll both crimp our hair in solidarity. <laughs> we'll get a crimper off eBay and yeah, we'll crimp away. It'll take me about 17 hours because I've needed a haircut for about a year. So yeah, it'll be great. <laughs> I'll shave my head after. Once you crimp, you just have to burn it down. Salt the earth. <laughs> so they go to the bronze. Cordelia's there. So they're having a conversation Owen and Buffy, and he does this, you're not like the other girls thing. Mm -hmm. And he shits on dating while they are on a date. (laughs) You know why? You know why? Why? Because Emily Dickinson didn't date. 
Emily Dickinson was a famous, famous spinster. Famous, famous recluse. Yes. It all makes sense. You know, yeah, he does have a code, I suppose. Although he did ask her out twice. (laughs) That's why he has to keep Emily on him at all times. So he never deviates from the path. (laughs) You're so right. He lost the book for one day and he went on two dates. What a lost soul. What would Emily do? So yeah, so they're at the club and, you know, they're chilling. And then, uh, you know what happens. Before your boy shows up, we have a little cutscene that shows Giles at the Sunnydale Cemetery. Yes. And the slogan for the Sunnydale Cemetery, which I never noticed before watching for this pod, is, we'll take care of the rest, which is so cute. It is. Giles's super librarian powers are as ineffective at sensing vampires as they are at actual librarianing. <laughs> Ouch. Xander and Willow show up. And Giles again talks about how much he hates modern technology, such as beepers. <laughs> and then your boy shows up. For the fans back home, I want y'all to know that I was sitting downstairs and my roommate was getting was cooking or doing something. And then I involuntarily said very loudly, <laughs> yes! It was just an urge. I just couldn't, I couldn't stop myself. I love how much of an impact Angel has had on you in such a few short episodes. Yeah, I wrote yes with about 69 S's. A. <laughs> and then I wrote Angel is back. Thank God. Yeah, thank God. I was like really, really excited to see him. He looked great. His endless supply of leather jackets was also looking phenom. What can I say? Angel knows what's up. (laughs) Look, I just want to say, Angel is not like other girls. No, Angel wears a jacket. (laughs) I did enjoy the, like, little, like, banter that he and Owen had. And I I honestly thought it was great when Buffy kissed Owen in front of Angel. I was like, yes, love the intrigue, here for it. You are tied down to no crow man. I thought that was pretty bold of her as well, because she obviously had a crush on Angel before, but Owen must be some, like, real hot shit, I guess. (laughs) I evidently, in this town, reading one poem makes you (laughs) deserving of our time. He doesn't even actually mention a poem. (laughs) He just talks about Emily Dickinson, the person. I just, like, want to know what the writer's room was like, let's pick an R, an author to convey to the audience that this kid is deep and like thoughtful and shit and like not to be like gender stereotypical but like they didn't pick like Jack Kerouac they didn't pick like you know Hunter S. Thompson like more like boy kind of things no they have to be goth it has to be like goth and death adjacent they didn't pick Edgar Allan Poe yeah that would have been my bet that's pretty goth. But Edgar Allan Poe is too like overtly goth and not sensitive enough because he has to be sensitive yet manly i i I guess Dickinson it is <laughs> yeah I mean great job writers <laughs> y'all nailed it oh wait so so angel shows up. And then Xander and Willow also show up and they have a... Oh, they pretend to be a couple. They pretend to be a couple. And it's... I love that I thought it was very funny. And I have... Imagine if Buffy had pretended to be Xander's girlfriend in order to go undercover and the amount of time that would be devoted to Xander's emotion about this. Justice for Willow. I agree. I love a fake relationship bit in any TV show. I think it's very funny and very cute and always has subtext, (laughs) which I love. A classic bit. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I loved it. I just, I like, I just love the Slayerettes, man. They're so cute. They're very cute. I, I like their new dynamic with Angel and mm. the way that they all play off each other is very good. Okay, Buffy leaves to go to the funeral home, kisses Owen in front of Angel. Rude, like those jackets and jewelries mean nothing. <laughs> Do you think she's just trying to date him to get a full outfit out of it? <laughs> Maybe. He'll give her one of his uh, mod dresses as well, just to really complete the look. <laughs> What if he was like, to complete your ensemble, I finally procured thigh-high boots for you? (laughs) I really like this. Buffy as a scammer, where she just dates men for free quotes. We love scammer culture. I don't know if we've discussed this on the pod, but we love love scammer culture, but only from a strictly Robin Hood perspective. Yes. Never from like a Goldman Sachs perspective. Right. We, We want a good scam the rich to feed the poor scenario. It's unclear how rich either of them are, but I'm on Buffy's side in this. 
Obviously. Buffy the Vampire Scammer. (laughs) Owen shows up at the funeral home and is being an obtuse idiot. All those seeds planted earlier in the episode about Owen's strangeness are sprouting terrible idiot fruit. (laughs) Yeah, he, he he should write a poem about it. I just, it's very weird that his, his like sensitivity and obsession with like an old goth lady has morphed into this lust for danger <laughs> because clearly everyone is freaking out around him and he's just like, <laughs> death. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that they had either a, uh, shall we say a literary consultant on the writing, uh, <laughs> staff or shall we say a goth consultant? No, no goths on staff. No, the goth community is heavily underrepresented. Shameful. (laughs) Giles pops out of a lot of stuff in this episode. He popped Mm -hmm. out from behind a grave earlier, Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. he popped out of that, like, corpse filing cabinet. I really like that Buffy, so far from what I've seen, she's very clever. Like, yes, she's a good fighter physically, and she's got, she's like agile, but she's very clever and she's very aware of her surroundings. Like in the pilot, went the sunlight, and then this episode where they had the crematorium working and then they like, you know, artfully shoved him in. I just think she's very smart. Like, she's aware. Shoved him straight in like a pizza. <laughs> yeah, she's very aware, which is the opposite of simple Owen, who is. <laughs> completely unaware of what is happening around him mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you know the i guess the penultimate scene is when owen is like hey i had a great time i got a mild concussion we danced let's do it again his uh his lust for violence is a, he's just like a million red flags wearing a human <laughs> suit that guy honestly that's funny i don't read him as red flags in his stream as boring i see what you mean that he's boring because like his performance in the show was very boring and he was very wooden in it but the way everybody talks about him which is how his character is developed mm. is just like a whole bunch of red flags Mm-mm-mm-mm. that's fair that's fair but i guess uh you know at the end of the day buffy has to make a choice and she has chosen the path of the slayer women have this thing called the right to choose and she has chosen to abort him <laughs> i guess women can't have it all is the is the theme of this episode no women can't have it all they can't have an evil fight and a cinder block horseman <laughs> They can't uh, wear red lipstick without having certain connotations. No, they can't. And they, for some reason, keep the pocket watches that people give them, even if they go on one unsuccessful date. Yeah. And we'll probably never use the pocket watch. (laughs) Well, but look, if we are going with our Buffy the Scammer idea, she's got (laughs) got a pocket watch out of it. That's true. She's two for two. She scams real well. Yeah. <laughs> she should take she should she should teach classes. Buffy the vampire scammer. So they're doing a reboot. I wonder if they're incorporating the scamming into it as heavily as they do with it. We should send our notes. We <laughs> um yeah, but I thought the ending, you know, it was kinda sad. Like she like talks to Giles about like choices and sacrifices and you know, like, yeah, she's she's just a kid. She wants to be a young person doing young people things. And, like, I I really love the Buffy-Giles relationship, and I think this talk is a very good, a very good scene that sort of, like, gives another layer to that relationship, because before this, he was always kind of, like, a impersonal authoritarian figure, and this really sort of humanizes him and personalizes their relationship. He talks about his dad and how he wanted to be a fighter pilot or a grocer as a child. Mm-hmm. And also we get like some watcher lore because apparently mm. watchering is a family affair kept in the family. And then I guess the last scene, terrifying, the little creepy child. Mm-hmm. I hated it. Yeah, so they they think that they killed the anointed one, but they did not. They did not. Because according to the prophecy, the Slayer will not know him. And that is true. The Slayer did not know him. So he shows up downstairs at the boss's office reporting for middle management duty. <laughs> he got promoted. He got promoted. <laughs> well, shall we rate the episode? Let's rate it. Okay. What do you think? Uh, 
Low medium. Yeah, I'm going to say this one is a low stakes for me too. The only reason I stuck on a low medium is that it begins the process of this like clearly episode long, couple episodes long arc about the prophecy and things like that. So I'm I'm excited to go through that journey. But in general, I would just like to do less with Owens, both fictional and real. You're right. It. I mean, of course you're right about Owens, but about the episode, you're, you're right that it starts off this plot line and we do learn more about like watcher lore. We get some relationship development. I'm I'm gonna push it up to medium, despite the Owen of it all. <laughs> well, all right, y'all. Another one in the books. Thanks for listening. Thanks, y'all. Send us uh, any poems that you like, preferably not of the Emily Dickinson variety. Yeah, send us your most goth security blankets. Yeah, just like, you know, tell us tell us how you're doing. We'd love to hear. Anything you say will be discussed on the pod. Yeah. And we'll crimp our hair. We're, we're going to be real excited. <laughs> well, as always, Melissa, keep persisting. As always, Aditi, not like other girls. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Bye. Thanks for listening to another fantastic episode of Big Mistake. If you have any messages for us, or if the apocalypse comes, beep us at BigMistakePod on Twitter and Instagram, or at BigMistake at gmail.com. That's B-I-G-M-I-S-S-S-T-A-K-E. Catch you at the bronze!